Welcome back to another episode of Ben and Eric's podcast. On today's pod, we are discussing the worst person in the world and somebody somewhere. This is a movie and TV podcast where where we review one movie and one TV show per episode. The catch is that on the TV segment, Ben has only seen the first few episodes of the show, while Eric has seen the whole series. So let's get right into it. How are you doing, Eric? I am doing fine, Benjamin. How are you? Good. Good. I'm, I'm doing well. Um, I'm in the new studio. This is a, for context for our listeners, this is a little room on, in Emerson's campus. Um, we might get walked in on, hopefully not, but let's just, let's just power through. Let's get right into this. Let's get right into this By box. studio, do you mean like padded walls? Uh, not in the whatever. slightest. There are audio booths that I could have rented, yeah. but I think I needed to plan further ahead if I wanted to get in one of those where I could record. Uh, on better quality, and I'll look into that in the future. You know, that might not be too bad if I could get that, get that on the phone somehow, like with a professional mic in a studio. But right now, we've got about like a five or ten dollar piece of like a cord uh, headphones and a, a phone in a small room. Yeah, we gotta. I think we gotta start up in our game here. Our listenership is is increasing, and they they demand excellence. Oh, it's it's increasing now. I, I kind of made that up. I think it's going up. You know, we're not going down, which... That's true. That's good. It seems like we've gotten over the hump where, like, now we're we're really planning ahead and we're really trying <laughs> to be a legitimate podcast. So, yeah, production value probably should go up sometime in the future. I'm with you. I, need, I think I need definitely need a microphone and uh, the... Uh, yeah, I want to I want to up the game for sure. But we, but we sound good. Like, you know, I mean... If we do say so ourselves. <laughs> yeah, if I say so myself. We sound fine. And you know what, Eric? I like, I like this kind of improv, improvised like, setups because it keeps me hungry. <laughs> keeps me, keeps me you, just said the, you just said the quiet part out loud. We were doing so great with the informal nature. And then you're like, this is good. We should keep this in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you want the gritty, real movie talk, come to, come to Ben and Eric's podcast. This will be in the uh, the director's cut DVD. We'll leave this part in there. Where this yeah. is the start of the episode. I, did my I know. I'm just messing with you. Okay. Let's roll. Let's go. All right. The worst person in the world. This is a 2022 or 2021 film from Norway. I'll explain why I just said that. In 2021, October of 2021, it was released in Norway, and it didn't. It wasn't released in the U.S. until February of 2022. So there's a few different release dates. Um, with award, with festivals and awards, it was um, making its rounds in 2021 and 2022. I'll talk about that later. Um, I have a there's an award they won an award at Cannes. Um, yeah, this is a movie. I, I I'm not going to read the IMDb introduction because I wrote one myself, which I'm good. I just I didn't feel like copying and pasting this one. I think this is a Norwegian drama in contemporary times with a love triangle. But uh, it gets deep when it touches on themes of, like, love and life and death. That's a, those are some big themes just in general, but this movie does handle those themes pretty well. The main character, mm-hmm. Julie, is in her late 20s. Uh, she turns 30 in the movie. And the movie follows her journey of self-discovery through adulthood. Now, that's cliche as hell, but it really is all about her. It's about how she feels, who she is, and who how she changes. So what do you think? 
good info. Yeah, and, and addition, additionally to that, it covers a four-year span in her life. I don't know if you said that. Yeah, but, um, yeah. She... Just sort of the scope of this is is that period. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I, I was drawn to this. And again, I think we should kind of talk about our feelings of the movie and then maybe we can dig into some spoilery stuff. But mm-hmm. um, I I was drawn to this because during the pandemic, everyone's like, you know, itching for new new movies, new content. Uh, you can't get to a theater. And then this one was making its way. It's And, and then people were talking it up like it was uh, a real significant piece of art that everyone should get to see. So I really look forward to seeing it. Um, I've seen it twice now, saw it right in the height of the p- pandemic. And then I watched it again in preparation for this. And I, honestly, my, my take on it, uh, my rating went down wow. a bit. On second watch, I, I have trouble with narcissists, I think. Okay. I think this is a personal issue. I'm glad you're recording um, a podcast with one. <laughs> uh, just in terms of sort of, the, you know, the worst person in the world is the name of the movie. And obviously we're talking about her. And hindsight, I think I may be talking about me because I didn't feel anything when this movie got deep. When this movie got heavy, when you're supposed to feel something, it didn't grab me. I wanted to feel something and I didn't. I was so taken aback by what a terrible, awful human being Julie is in this movie that I had some challenges sort of engaging with it, connecting with it. So uh, that's that's the brief, brief review. For me, I'm just going to latch on to that and say I, I very much disagree. I don't doubt that you... Um, that you tried very hard and that you were engaged with it and that it didn't hit or sit right for you. But uh, who she is, is not that bad. What she does, I don't, I don't think that's why it's called the worst person in the world. Not because of her actions. I don't believe her actions to be that bad. She actually seems like quite civil and um, smart in a world, in her world of like, kind of like misogynistic, semi-misogynistic men, but like emotionally available, you know, trying their hardest. I didn't see her being like such a terrible person. I actually felt quite sorry for her when it, with her interaction with her father, with her interactions with her father. Um, those were brief, but you know, she gets sympathy there from me. Um, with a, a lot of different steps of the way, I am kind of with her. I'm kind of with her 100% of the way. So I, I've seen some huh. interviews. I've seen some interviews, and um, I'm going to pronounce this right. Renata Renevzva. Uh, fuck, fuck me. <laughs> Renezva. Renezva. Okay. Uh, Reinezva. Uh, fuck, it was Reinezva. Renata, Renata, okay, Reinsa. all right. Um, she's amazing as Ju- as Julie is the lead in this uh-huh. movie. She's amazing. I'll give you that. She won the Best Actress Award in Cannes uh, in 2022, and apparently, hmm. I-, I saw like a four minute clip of her on James Corden sitting next to Olivia Rodrigo. Crazy that they put those two together, but uh, hmm. they have literally nothing to do with each other. Um, and and. Uh, she said she was about to quit acting before she got this role. She was going to be a carpenter. She's going to like help renovate houses. I don't know, but she is 
uh, excellent in this role. She really embodies the character. And I think I saw in an interview and I kind of agree because I never found her character to be so terrible. Uh, Renata Reinsva said that like the character feels like they're the worst person in the world. Like what they're doing is incomprehensible and so terrible for herself and the people around her. But I don't see it that way. And a lot of hmm. the characters around her don't see it that way. So I feel sympathy for her. I, um, so I, I'm sorry, this is an audio only medium because- Are you rolling your eyes back there? Not rolling, but they got wider than they've ever gotten in my life. When you said the things she she does are not that bad, um, I I don't know what we don't have time. We don't have time to go through the list of the things she does. I guess I guess it's and we can talk about that sort of in the back half of this discussion. By the way, your microphone is bopping a bit, so so I don't know if you're running through the hallway right now. No, but, I'm uh, not. I'm chill out sitting on that. completely still. Um, but she we she goes through many decisions about through her from one relationship to the next. And each time she is making a decision that is hurting other people. Um, and I, I, I've lost, I have zero empathy for her. Zero. There, she, she's constantly making decisions that hurt other people. Now she does have a history, a family, her family of origin and her father, terrible dude. I get where she gets it from. Let's just talk about the structure of this movie first, um, because I do want to get into some spoilery stuff about yeah. the decisions. Yeah, because I, wanna, so, I want you to name I, things. I want you to name things. Yeah, yeah. So I, I, do, to, I do like the structure of the movie. I like, I like that there's, they lay it out for you with title cards. There's a prologue. 12 there's like 12 chapters and then an epilogue. And I, I really enjoy that. Each, each chapter has a uh, title. Like, you know, one of them is Julie's Narcissistic Circus which I picked out just for this discussion on purpose, because th that section does get you into a, 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 you know, a scene or two that's very specific to what she is, uh, um, what, you know, who she's hurting, let's just put it that way. Um, so I do like the structure. There's, there's a couple of great filmmaking um, tricks in this where she's going from one of her boyfriends to another boyfriend and there there's some kind of stop motion stuff they do which is a phenomenal scene just in terms of filmmaking so i don't know if you want to talk about that in the middle of the movie yeah um so there is a brief there's a brief moment that i really think one of the reasons you kind of you don't like her is maybe you're taking the abstract i think a little too literal a little too literally um, there is a scene where time stops and she goes from her boyfriend to talk and spend the day with this dude that she met before. So this is, is this a spoiler? Are we, are we going, are we delving deep? We can, um, let me see if there's anything else we can talk about in the movie before we kind of dig into some of these details. Um, well, I mean, like uh, I've I've heard some inter I've heard an interview with Joaquin Trier that he did with Sean Fennessy, and I think writer director Joaquin Trier is really talented. So is Isco Voigt, uh, the co-writer. Um, Joaquin Trier sounds really smart and self-aware, and I think he he sounded great on a podcast. He seems like he gets his point across. Um, not. I mean, the performances are all great. The three leads are all great. 
Um, mm-hmm. uh, like, it just seems like everyone involved, again, I mean, it's great that we can do these movies and constantly sound like a broken record and say, like, everyone seems passionate about what they're doing and how they're doing it and really is taking pride in their work. But again, uh, this is another movie where people really, it really looks like every member of the cast and crew really valued what time they had and what work they were putting in. Um, and were just smart and capable enough to create a great movie. Yeah, and, and let's just pause on that and get a little get a little meta in terms of why we choose the movies that we do. Because even though this movie might be a little divisive in terms of our opinions on it, and what other people that listen to this think about the movie after they see it. But we, we try to pick movies that are exceptional in some way or another, right? Like it's either it's either top of mind for the culture right now today or the performances or the filmmaking, or we both just literally love the movie and want to make sure everyone else sees it. Yeah. And that's why we want to talk about it. Mm-hmm. So this is, this checks a couple of those boxes, but not all of them. Um, so I think that that being said, maybe we should sort of dig into some of the, well, some I, of the plot I points here. I do have here. one more question. I was wondering yeah. why you suggested we do this movie. I couldn't tell if it was because you liked it, which it sounds like you didn't like it as much as you do like other movies, or if you thought that I would really like it. So it's a, if, if the movie was called something other than the worst person in the world, I probably would have been like, I'm disgusted by this. The fact that they call it that brings it right to the surface and she she walks the walk. She is the worst person in the world, according to me. And frankly, according to according to someone according to someone that picked the title for the movie. I didn't pick the fucking title. So some filmmaker picked the title uh-huh. and he or she nailed it. So um, for that reason, but, I think... But they nailed it, it, it in a way that is not just supposed to be so obvious as the main character is going to be the worst person in the world. There's a few more questions that the title is going to ask other than I'm, who do you I'm, think is the worst person. I would love to hear your opinion on that. I definitely want to get into that. So let's go ahead and, and start spoiling this thing because I, I, I'm anxious to hear your, your opinions about that. Well, and I, I hope... What? <laughs> what do you hope? Nothing, nothing. I do want to get into it because there's, there's, I think there's probably a dozen points in this movie where she's like, you got to be kidding me. You just did that. I mean, it's nuts. So Okay. Um, the, the first mistake I see that she maybe she makes is she crashes this random wedding. She goes home early. Oh, God, no. You're deep into the film. She slept with her professor in like the first five minutes of the movie. Well, so what? And then and then she sleeps with the subject of, of her photography that she gets into. I so I gotta say, Eric, it, like it was just them two alone in like, and he was supposed to be sexy, dude. Why? Why, well, is, she, this, why is that bothering you? Well, I guess the, the, it started with the professor. I mean, that just she she like she got that into her sights. She's like twenty seven. She... She's supposed to be like autonomous. Hey, there's no like power imbalance. She's a woman. In like uh, I think Professor Power and Balance. Okay, I would challenge you on that point. Well, but... I mean, yeah, there probably is, but like, they they touched on it briefly. Let's, okay, let's let's immediately go. I'm gonna again. I'm gonna pull back a little bit. She's. I'll go into the the, the cheating. So chapter two is called cheating, mm-hmm. right? That's the literal name of the chapter, which is and I think what I was about to mention. That's where you're starting. So you go, you go. Okay, so uh, her boyfriend 
is a comic book artist and he's come out with a new comic book. He's kind of, he's in his forties. So he's like deeper into his career. He has a whole series that uh, started his career off and now he's got this new thing. And he's got a new comic book. They release it. Uh, she's at the party. She goes home early. She tells him she's going home. And then. Pause on that. Pause on that. Cause I do. You, you actually, from her walk home from the book signing, she's actually, she's looking over the cityscape. I imagine it's Oslo that she's looking at. Yeah. And there is a very clear revelation in her face. And that's yep. fantastic acting. When you see in her face. Yeah. Amazing. The, you, 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 you got the title card already that's cheating. She made a decision and she said nothing. You just saw in her face, she is going to cheat. She made a conscious decision. She didn't say any words. You just saw it in her face. I thought that was phenomenal. You see, that's where we differ. I saw that reaction and I thought she's looking over the city. She sees this beautiful, expansive, a wide open view of the landscape and the city. There's so much opportunity. There's so much freedom there that's what i see is that she felt not trapped but like the problem that they had in the beginning was she is younger than him by about a decade um or more i think it's like 12 years she's in, she's almost 30 he's in his 40s and she doesn't feel free and she needs time to be a young adult and they and they discuss that, and then they immediately make a mistake. Uh, they're about to break up in, like, this very beginning part. They're about to break up. They hook up. So they had hooked up. They're about to break up. They break up, and then she goes, uh, I've, like, she falls in love with him and goes back, and now they're moving in. Like, it's very sudden, but clearly a mistake. There's this flaw that they haven't fixed. There's this problem in their relationship at its core that they have not addressed. So... To me, not being the worst person in the world, that's just kind of being a, a human being who follows her heart. Mm. So, who probably should have ended the relationship when she realized that she was going to move on anyway. But she was in love with him, which is why they started the relationship from this hookup. Okay. So then she makes a revelation. To me, that revelation is, I want to feel more free. So what does she do? She crashes a wedding. You know, she doesn't go, uh, like, she doesn't go um, for the group. Like, she doesn't do something obnoxious and make a whole scene and then get kicked out. Right. She's, she's doing she something be, a little bit just be, dangerous uh -huh. from a relationship standpoint. It's probably going to end in a cheat. And mm -hmm. I, I got to tell you, that scene when she's at the party and meeting um, the new guy, pronounced Ivland, E-I-V-A-N-D. I'm sorry, Ivand? Uh, no, no. I thought it was... um. I thought it was like uh, Edwin, like Edwin, well, like Edwin, it's e but Evan, no. Evan, let's call it Evan. I, thought it was let's call it Evan. I, heard, I no, heard Edwin. There's no D, there maybe it's D. pronounced differently in Norwegian. But anyway, it is pronounced let's call him, in Norwegian. all right, we'll call him Edwin. So when she meets him at the party, that scene, um, it felt, and I, I hate to bring this up again because I think I'd bring it up every podcast, but it had a sort of before sunrise kind of feel to it <laughs> to me in terms of two ships passing in the night who, who that, that sort of young love kind of like find a common ground. There's an attraction, there's flirting, uh, there's talking about themselves as individuals and then getting closer and whatnot. So that that scene was really well done. And I kind of, I was drawn to that scene, 
the whole time back in my mind, you're a bitch. You shouldn't be doing this, but, but I'm sorry. I was talking. I don't know if you heard me, but, um, so (laughs) she was, she was on a mission that night to cheat and she's pulling it off. Now, again, on an Island, their, his, her interaction with Edmund was, was pretty, pretty special. I mean, it was a really great sort of romance, budding romance taking shape there. And that was some great filmmaking and great dialogue as those two were getting to know each other. So I did really enjoy that. But in the context of where she was coming from, I thought it was like pretty despicable. So can I tell the, can I, I can mention the end of this whole, um, not scene, but um, series, this series of scenes that um, it concludes with them walking away from each other at the end of the night, not having Mm -hmm. done anything. Right. No real physical contact. Of course, emotionally, they seem to have a great time with each other. But I don't think you can call having a great time with someone cheating. You could consider, like, what they did is flirting, for sure. There's no doubt about it. That they were definitely flirting with each other, even though they were saying, we're not flirting with each other, which was the whole point. Right. They, they were committed to not cheat on their, each other's spouse on their own, on their, in, within their own relationship. They weren't going to cheat with each other. And they were going to toe were... the line. And right. that's the whole thing they do. And they just do a bunch of stuff right. that's like weird, funny stuff. It's funny. Right. When, okay, yes. when she, when they, they both like pee in front of each other, because they're like, yes. that's not cheating. Right. That's funny. That would never happen. And like, that would probably cross the line. I don't know. But that's like, that's funny. And that's like, uh, okay, this is nice. But no, a a great, a great scene, a great scene. And I love that part of it. And then you fast forward like 15, 20 minutes and she eventually does cheat through that scene where they, she does sort of stop time and goes through the city where people are supposedly in motion, but she's the only one moving again, really great filmmaking. I love I don't know how the hell they did it, but it was very cool. It's tremendously done. It's done yes. really well, but but that's that's why when do she... you see that as real? Why do you see that as a real thing? Sorry, that's not real. They time stop. Oh, I know, I know, I get that. No, I get that. I'm just saying that's the transition when she really goes to Edmund, and like that's when she's kind of leaving Axel as um, leaving that relationship is when she goes and makes the decision that she is going to sort of be with Edmund. But she makes the that's when that she's going to be with him, but she never does anything. That no, I know, sequence. I know, but that's that's the transition point, I think. No, really, no. When she's... But that sequence never re- it never happens in like a real sense. That's... I got that. I got that. So then she never actually does anything. I think that's that's all in her head. She is picturing. She is picturing this. We're in her point of view. She stops. T- but like, the day is still the day. It, it no, she has made up her mind, and that is the process of her making up her mind. Mm-hmm. Not something that's really happening. So. She never does anything but think about what could happen, realize she's in a relationship that is not fulfilling her, addressing an issue that, uh, that the relationship started with, and, and then breaking up because of it, because of a real reason. Right. This is, and this is after she... Not the, those are not the actions of the worst person in the world. That is the actions of like someone who has learned from her mistake after a long time, but someone who is strong enough to acknowledge her mistake confront it and then end the relationship because it needed to end. That's fair. She breaks up with Axel after she runs into Edvin in real life um, as the second, essentially their second meeting, yeah. which occurs a bit after their, uh, their sort of one night at that party. Uh-huh. So 
And then she does break up with Axel. She doesn't, uh, she actually doesn't, I guess, literally cheat on him because she hasn't Done had, had sex with the new guy before she breaks up with Axel. Uh-huh. So technicality, for sure. Emotionally, you can't, just, she, you can't just say technicality. Emotionally, she was gone. I mean, emotionally, she was, well, she was done you, with Axel. You don't just break up while you're emotionally involved. Like, there has to be some kind of trigger that, like, allows Can you we, to break up. So let's talk about her, the breakup with Axel, because that scene is, it's, um, it's devastating. I mean, he, he feel, he, he's blindsided by that. It's like, the reason she's breaking up with him, all that, is it feels like, I feel like it wasn't on the surface of the things that were really bothering her about that relationship. The relationship felt very good and solid and special. It was. And he, he had his flaws. She had her flaws. But at the end of the day, those were kind of, I feel like those were minor with respect to the, the stability of the relationship. So when she did break up with him, that was a harsh breakup. That was a one-sided, I'm hitting you in the face with this. You did not see this coming. I'm done. And he, great acting on his side on Axel, he was gut punched. Mm-hmm. And, and that's my disdain for her grew at that point. Let me just say that. To me, it, it, did, not, it did not grow or even begin at that point. I mean, that just seems like, what is she to do? Is she supposed to like stay together for his sake? And no. be, in a, be in a loveless relationship? I mean, they- For okay, sure not. There's a way would... to handle that. But she, she wants what she wants. And she uh-huh. wants it when she wants it. I mean, she gets she gets to make all those calls, and she at no point up to this point in the movie has any empathy for the person on the receiving end of these conversations. She definitely has empathy for it. Oh, I didn't feel that at all. No, they, no. They, she spends the whole day talking to him about how she feels, about her relationship with him, about who he is, who she is, what she needs. Not necessarily what he needs, but what she needs is not the relationship anymore. That's what she she wants to exit the relationship. It's not going to be healthy if she stays in the relationship. So she's going on. And this is not something they need to like. This is not like a you can win me back. This is like a a, this is what needs to happen right now. It's going to be worse if this doesn't happen right now. Not Mm. like it's that bad right now, but it's going to get bad if this doesn't happen. So to me, this is a mature act. Obviously, it's going to be painful for Axel. It's painful for her, too. One thing I would like to say also is the narration. There is a lot of narration in this movie, and I really feel like it adds something deeper to it. Mm-hmm. It, it really seems like when, when, we're na- when, when the narrator is narrating their conversation as they're having it, she's saying, like, this is how this person's feeling. And then Julie says exactly what the narrator just said a second later. That kind of adds a, a few extra beats in places you yeah. expect a few extra like a few extra times you get to hear these words being said, which uh, I found just really interesting. Like purposely being redundant as a narrator. Yeah, it, it adds emphasis. Like like if you were reading it in a book, it would have been like bold type, right? I mean, it's it's to make sure you get it. Yeah. You just got that message. Yeah. So I I do like that. Yeah. So I mean, the way they use the narrator in this, and when the narrator finally says like. When Julie says, um, maybe we can get together again in the later, like maybe mm-hmm. we'll find each other again in the future. And then the narrator goes, she really means that. She really fucking means that. She really feels for Axel. She has sympathy for him. She knows how important she is to him. 
and she obviously knows how important Axel is to her. But that relationship at that point in time was not where it needed to be, was not satisfying her because of this central issue that they ignored in the beginning of the relationship. Um, okay, I got that. When she says, th- and I, the spin that I hear when she says, maybe we'll get together in the future, maybe things will change for me and you will be satisfactory to me. Right now you're not, and I want other things. So I, I all, she's always got this sort of selfishness about her and narcissism about her that drives everything. And she will explain away, she'll explain away any decision she's making, regardless of how the other person's gonna receive it. As if Axel doesn't have the same narcissism as a a 40 year old human being instead of a 30 year old human being. He's got issues, he's got issues. But in the context of the relationship, he's been been faithful every step. Uh, Technically so has she, but like that's not, um, that's not my point. We know that can we, she has. But like, can we jump to the relationship with Ivan? Uh, yeah. It, Edmund, whatever the fuck. Edwin. I feel like it's Edwin, but I don't know. Um, yeah, right. so that relationship looks like a relationship with people in their 30s. It looks great. I mean, it looks or magical. Really I mean, they look, they look like they're perfect for each other, right? To an extent. All right. Well, uh, it seemed it like... Was never gonna, like you knew it couldn't really work out. Like, there's no, like, he is not going to solve her problem. Like, she has a, a problem just, like, because she's a human being. So she has... Doesn't, doesn't he feel like the perfect boyfriend? I mean, you know, both of us are heterosexual males, but, <laughs> but he, seems, he seems like he's always there for her. Like, he's always looking out for her. He's got her back. He just always, he's always, he's like the perfect spouse. He's the perfect match. Yeah. I think the, I mean, uh, like she says this and like, I kind of agree with it. Um, where she's like, you could be ser- like, you could serve coffee until you're 50. So uh, Ed Vinder, whatever the hell, he's like a barista in his like, and she works at a bookstore. So like they do kind of seem like the same person. And to me, it's a little bit like, Maybe she sees too much of herself in him and is bothered by that because I really feel like this movie is a lot about the inner turmoil in Julie's mind as a character and not um, her actions being so diabolical that she Mm. Uh, she should be labeled the worst person in the world. So, um, because people really get into it, like there's worse people in history that we are. No, of course, of course. So. Axel, we're, we're get, let's, let's again. We're getting as spoilery as it gets here. Uh-huh. Axel, during her her relationship with Edmund, Axel is she catches an interview on TV with Axel uh-huh. and learns he has soon after that that he has pancreatic cancer. Yeah, and um, right soon, right after that, Edvin finds some of Julie's old writing work that she did, and he is incredibly complimentary about this. Yeah. And says one or two things just on the edge of a compliment that I guess is a bit could be considered just a hint of constructive criticism. And she blows up on him and something that you see sometimes in relationships, which is he she completely sabotages it. She she finds that one thing in his criticism that sabotages that relationship. 
And by the, and I got that from the look on his face, which I was, I was living through him at that point. I was like, I was in his body where he was saying exactly the right things and they should have been received well by her. Yeah. But she just went off the deep end, like illogically. Right. And she, she just, like I said, sabotaged the relationship right at that point. And I think it obviously comes right on the heels of her seeing Axel again and seeing something about him and the cancer that she learned he has that is pulling her away from Edvent. So, yeah, she does fixate on this one thing, maybe illogically, but it's a relationship. Let's be real. A lot of emotions are at stake. There's not always, like, the utmost logical reasoning to a lot of things. And to me, as someone who is extremely sympathetic towards this character, opposed to your absolutely no sympathy, I think we should be somewhere in the middle Personally, I'm really defending her because you're really attacking her. But sure. I think we should be closer to the middle, but that's a boring pod, so let's keep this going. <laughs> I think like she has a lot of misplaced anger at that very moment. Um, yes. there's a lot of there's a lot on her mind. It's not really an excuse, but she misplaces all of this um, anger and resentment. And as like a big part of her world comes crashing down, like this man who she spent significant amounts of her life uh, significant years of her life with who she felt like she learned a lot and i thought ended on good enough terms you know like it never felt like she was abusing him or cheating on him or any of that so it seemed like he's still a good person in in her mind and even after that terrible interview that he does where he just gets called like um it just mm. becomes like a fucking uh misogynist he call he essentially calls a woman a whore but like says if my character did it it wouldn't actually be me doing it and yeah, it, it, was, it was a bit of a hit it was a bit of a hit job but he also looked he also said he took the bait and then uh, yeah. got really angry on this uh on this podcast actually radio show and and so like she still i think she sees that and is like "Ooh, that's bad and then learns he has cancer and he's like oh that, Ooh, like, maybe maybe she was drawn to him because he was being such a prick. <laughs> I didn't ever see that part that that ending series where they're spending time with each other and Edvind is uh, just gone. Really, to me, I was watching that and didn't know that they had really broken up. Like, I really mm -hmm. thought that she was spending time with a cancer patient who is mm -hmm. literally about to die. Like, why would she not? She knows she's one of the most important people in this person's life. Axel says it. She's, he says that my relationship with you is the most important relationship of my entire life, which dying of cancer, knowing you're going to die of cancer, he's not lying. Right. Um, yes, by the end of the movie, her actions do become dubious at the very least uh, because as his condition worsens, he, he gets it's really bad overnight and she gets a phone call. Like he might not make it in, in the morning and she doesn't go and visit him. So she had spent all this time with him. Yeah. She's now being told he's dying. He's going to die. You won't, you won't make it to morning. And then, um, she just spends the night alone. Yes. Obviously thinking about him, but does not, does not, is not by his side when he dies. So to me, that was, I was like, oh, 
Like you can't do that. Um, okay, I think you're. I think I'm winning you over here. Um, Axel, on the last his last few days, says a couple things to her that just like drove a nail right through, you know, the heart of her as a redeemable person. Hmm. When he tells her how wonderful she is, I was like, what the fuck? How how is she wonderful? She's she's cute as a button. She's adorable. <laughs> But that's where it ends. Like, I want to I see a picture of her. I do not want to hang out with this individual. He also says, you're a damn good person. His words, not mine. Uh-huh. It's like, I was agreeing. What? What? <laughs> She's, and then, as you said, you know, she doesn't, uh, she doesn't close the deal. She doesn't, you know, go see him when, he, when she knows that it's over and he's about to die. Um, she, she, and, and when he's dying, she's there looking at the sunrise by herself. She cries. Uh-huh. I felt nothing. I like, and that's what I literally thought. I said earlier on, am I the worst person in the world? I feel nothing for her loss, her feeling in this that she's got at this moment. I have, you know, like, fuck her. Like she, she, she screwed him over long ago. She's kind of screwed him over again. And who cares if she's sad? It's like, yeah. you know, so that, that was, that was where I ended up on it. And, and so in terms of my journey in this movie, it was like, normally you'd feel something at that point when you've got a key character in Axel who, you, who you're drawn to. Yeah. He defends her when she has issues with her father. And he steps in. He steps in and is like, takes her side 100% to the point where she's like, yo, yo, too far. Like, back off. Yeah. I got this. So it's like, I'm on his side all the way. And when he's literally dying, she, she is not there for him at the end, even though he's got her on a pedestal. So it's like, you know, forget that. I don't care that she's sad. I do not care. She's terrible. Am, so again, am I the worst person? No, because... no you're not. The, no, the more I think about the ending, that's yeah. the more I agree. Yeah. But to me, it's like the ending is she's in a lot of pain and does not act properly. So to me, it's not some like evil intentions uh, mm. that she has. Or some right. lack of empathy. She's, she's immature. She's immature. She doesn't know how to deal with where she is in this in the Axel drama. Which being 10, uh, 11 years younger than her character, yeah. I understand immaturity. I understand not knowing what to do and not acting right in moments of catastrophe or pain. Like, that is relatable. So, to me, I feel yep. empathy for her because I know she she's not, like actively um hurting these people he is not going around with the intention to hurt the people that she's around but she is confused as all people are she is Mm -hmm. unsure of herself and her place in the world she um feels emotions as everyone else does but uh has difficulty like expressing them and understanding like how to do what's right for her and the people around her so Mm -hmm. a very empathetic character for me i don't know Mm. why you didn't see that in i i would i'm anxious for a sequel to this where she has evolved into someone that that i can connect that's emotionally mature and like a 50 year old with two two great kids like what, what do you want what do you want from her i would buy a 40 year old who's been who's had another relationship or two and she's got kids herself 
And that has helped her mature as well, obviously. But that doesn't so, help people mature. Having a kid just exacerbates I, problems that already exist. She has, if she hasn't grown from this, you know, then she's, she's, she's got the gold medal and worst person in the world. It's like, I, I would be open to seeing that. But this journey she was on this time was like, again, I was happy to spend two hours in this world with her. Um, but it's, I cannot watch another two hours of her just like abusing people in her life. Well, look, I don't think we, I don't think we learned or convinced each other of much of anything. You convinced me somewhat. I hope I convinced you somewhat of that she is worth empathy and she is now maybe on the second or third watch, you know, it might be more and more difficult to um, sympathize with or with her as you get more time with the other characters. But look, we're running long on this, on this movie segment. We got, I I will give you, I will give you that one thing. One thing you did convince me of is that I was absolutely putting my 57 year old, you know, experiences and, and relationship experience into this, person's body and like i i wasn't giving her the benefit of any doubt at all so you know that was a problem that's that part's on yeah me. To, to your first problem being she sleeps with a professor and then the dude that's modeling for her the dude that's modeling for her is a crazy problem to have like that is that is a really yeah no I, like I, really I give you that i give you that i went to i went to her cheating on axel which was yeah. uh, just a chapter two just kind of getting just kind of getting started technicality she doesn't actually do it so Two of twelve. Like you said, we're running long. Yeah, we're running way too long. Um, <laughs> sorry for, but we we have an ad after this, and I'm sure um, Dirty Sue won't be too happy that we we took about forty <laughs> minutes to get to his ad. But you know, we're we got there. Maybe we'll put it in the beginning. No, we're gonna put it right here. So we're gonna come back with a short um, on a short break. We're gonna do an ad, and then we're gonna do somebody somewhere. So. Stick around. Uh, we hope you, we kept your attention. Uh, somebody Somewhere is up next. Welcome back, everybody. This is the part of the show where we give some love to our sponsor, Dirty Sue. DirtySue.com is where you can find them. They make cocktail mixers, uh, the premier product being olive juice, premium olive juice for dirty martinis and I, I know you said you're not a martini guy ben have you ever made a martini uh no i have not made a martini but you know what if i did i would surely use the premium olive juice <laughs> from dirtysue.com i did not set you up for that at all yeah. i didn't uh that wasn't what i was going for but it sounded genuine uh-huh. it sounded great oh yeah it's real great um it's actually and it's also not expensive just to be clear that the premium olive juice comes in a two-pack uh, the bottle is in 750 milliliter or 375 milliliter bottles. I go for the smaller because I'm the only martini drinker in my household. So I just go for the smaller. And two bottles of that smaller bottle is just $23. Ooh, so nice. it's a pretty good deal. Free shipping in the U.S. So that's like 23 bucks all in kind of thing. That's pretty cool. And you can get that on Amazon or you can get that uh, directly from DirtySue.com. Yeah. Buy your premium olive juice and other Bloody Mary and other cocktail mixes on DirtySue.com. Support local businesses. Support small businesses. Uh, go to DirtySue.com. All right. Should we just transition right into Somebody Somewhere? Let's do it. All right. So Somebody Somewhere is a 2022 um, HBO Max series, uh, HBO original. 
Um, it stars Bridget Everett and Jeff Hiller. Um, Bridget Everett plays Sam, the lead character who's in every episode. She's a part. She is the character. It's Bridget Everett's show. She's really the the main. Uh, and then there's uh, Jeff Hiller, who's Joel, who plays like a friend and a coworker. Uh, Trisha Miller, or I mean, um, Mary Catherine Garrison plays Trisha Miller, uh, Sam's sister. So Sam, um, just to get into the little bits that I know, and then I really want to let Eric take this, but Bridget uh, Everett is a comedian who the first time I saw her, she was on Comedians in Cars Getting Coffee, and I thought she was hilarious. I had never seen her before in my life. Um, I was like, who is this woman? Uh, she really makes Jerry laugh. She made me laugh. Um, she's a great personality on the show. Uh, go check out her special if you want to see her. Uh, I think her special is called, um, her special is called like gynecologist something. Damn it. I think it's like gynecologist miracle. No, it's, um, it's something gynecologist. I, I literally just had the tab up. Um, let me let me read the description on this show while you look for that. Sam is a true Kansan on the surface, but beneath it all struggles to fit the hometown mold, grappling with loss and acceptance. She, and that has to do with, you learn very early, um, the death of her sister in the show. And ironically enough, the Bridget, the real life actress, also lost a sister. That's a little tidbit. So grappling with the loss and acceptance, she discovers herself and a community of outsiders who don't fit in, but don't give up. And that's her interaction with her friend Joel in the show, um, played by, uh, as you said, Jeff Hiller, who was just great character. The great characters that she interacts with uh, in terms of her second family really um, keeps this show alive and afloat. I, I love it. Just for, um, just for a little context, I've seen the first two yeah. episodes. Um, it's seven episodes in the first season, so I thought two would be appropriate. Um, yeah, what were you going to say? Oh, yeah, so finish that up. They fit they, they seven episodes in season two as well, yeah. um, and they've renewed it for season three. Okay. So it's a good time to get on board. It's still going. Um, yeah, and sort of the backstory on this on this show is that, uh, as you mentioned, Bridget Everett is um, a pretty well-known comedian, mm -hmm. lived in New York for a long time doing that gig. And her special um, is called Gynecological Wonder. That's what it was. There you go. And she, um, she, back in 2017, if you remember, Amazon was doing pilots and having users vote on pilots, you know, rate them. And then they were going to like make the highest rated pilots that people uh, said they loved the most. And that was where I think Man in the High Castle kind of took off, you know, the one about sort of the alternate history of, of, of um, the Nazis kind of took off and became a series. And she had, according to her, the highest rated pilot, but that the Amazon Silicon Valley execs said they couldn't connect with it. So she's always had this sort of Midwestern roots transplanted to New York and then trying to kind of bring it back to some Midwestern kind of theme stuff because that's what she knows and who she is. Um, and then she, then some HBO folks, some people that were involved in Broadway plays, Hannah Boss and Paul Therene, they wrote hot Broadway plays. They, HBO came to them and wanted them to write a show. 
And then they went with this Midwestern theme and really wrote this show for Bridget Everett. That was, it was written for her as the main character. So and my, my impressions, just to piggyback on that, my impressions were that she was writing this. Uh, they are, she has a part in that for sure, but they are the writers. Hannah and Paul yeah. are the, uh, yeah. So, um, and, and it is sort of, it is, um, it's very Midwestern theme. The way, the way Bridget explains it, she says that um, we want to live in this world, but we don't want to look down on this world, right? So it kind of like gets you to connect with, like get us East Coast elites, Ben, you and I, to sort of connect with these people when we on, normally wouldn't connect with them. I don't look down on people from Kansas. I didn't say you did. I'm just saying I said you were an East Coast elite. So, you know, challenge me on that, Mr. Philly boy going to school in Boston. Well, I don't know. I might be, uh, I might be in California sometimes soon. But you're not. So you're you're also you're also then a little full of shit. I think. Okay. So. Well, we'll see, Eric. We'll see. Why are you going to California? I don't know. I don't know. This. Schools over there seem pretty cool. You leave. And you leave in Emerson. You just got there. At the very least, Emerson has a uh, LA program <laughs> where you spend a semester in California. Oh, very cool. Yeah. That'd be perfect for you. Yeah. Also, this show um, executive produced by the Duplass brothers, so it's got a good lineage there. These guys know what they're doing. Um, Jay Duplass directed five of these episodes in season one. So it's, it's got some great people attached to it. Um, so uh, the heart of it is based in Manhattan, Kansas. It's actually shot outside of Chicago in kind of rural Illinois for access to like actors and better infrastructure. Um, but a lot of the exteriors are Manhattan, Kansas, which is where um, Bridget is from. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, so you've, I've, like I said, I've seen all two, both seasons. You have seen. The first I'm sorry, the first episode. What did you What did you think of that first one? Uh, the The first one I thought was a gr- pretty great pilot. I was like, this is, this is really nice. It sets up uh, our character very well. Um, Sam is a very sympathetic character, another lost woman, but this time in her forties, uh, she is uh, struggling with the death of her sister, um, newly. Uh, dead sister and um, it it really does feel well written and human and I really like the um, I, I do like that it's set in like rural contemporary America because that kind of thing especially in movies is exaggerated like the way we think of like westerns now uh, really should start to change because of like the west being the West being almost no different from the East. I mean, it, it's really hard to like point out differentiating things that actually matter now. It's not like the East, there's cities, and in the West, it's just land. Now we have suburbs all over the country. America is a huge place, but it's still America. And so like um, representing this part of America is something I don't see very often and obviously isn't seen very often probably because the demographic isn't so big. So executives are executives like the people at Amazon are scared to um, invest Mm -hmm. money in a show about this kind of thing. But I think good shows speak for themselves. And I mean, the pilot episode, I really did dig. um, And it got me to watch the second one all the way through. And and I thought the pilot just as short as it is, did an incredible job of, of seeing, seeing uh, Sam, Samantha in her rut really can't find her way out of it you really feel in the first five or ten minutes like like jesus christ this is her life i mean she you you see the pain in her face as she goes through her day to day Uh 
and Joel, her, you know, a, a, a high school friend who she does not remember, but then, then <laughs> tries a very funny scene, tries to fake her way out of saying that she does remember yeah. him. But, um, but like he, he's part of this community that is a, a bit oddball. There, you get into the later episodes and next in this second season of the LGBT um, community that they start to sort of get connected to and you get this sort of liberal bastion within a, a really red state and she finds some connection and it's really sweet in that way she tries to build slash repair her relationship with people like her sister in the show and her parents who are aging the mother has got some real challenges health-wise so those kinds of things you start to deal with and it's painful sometimes yeah. because you really have a lot of empathy for, for and Sam. She's a fantastic actor. Bridget is amazing. She's Absolutely. wonderful. She's, she's funny. Um, she brings a lot of light to these situations. And Joel is a comic relief maven. I mean, he's always there to, to keep it light and to keep it, um, uh, to keep it bouncy and like out of, the, out of the, the dumps. Yeah. Um, so they, they do a really good job in each episode. It's, it's a, you know, they're, they're a half hour max. And each time you're like, you're just glad to have spent some time with these people. Yeah. Um, she, uh, there was a point in the second episode where I, where I almost checked out, not because it was bad, but because I was like, whoa, 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 why are we, why are we doing this? This is like really personal. And I don't know if it's a, really a spoiler, but I, I don't want to say it. I think you know, it's, it's her conversation with Joel, her first conversation with Joel in this episode. I don't know if you rewatched or remember, but Joel's like vision board is out and he really mm. like tears it apart. Like not physically, but really just breaks down like um, how he'll never achieve any of this stuff that he sees for himself. And it was really um, disheartening to see her like take out her anger on this good friend of hers now. Mm -hmm. So then I was like, well, this is like, this is too much. I really think that scene was a little bit too harsh. Like the creators didn't really have a good balance of like harshness, but like it just seemed like she was tearing it apart for no reason mm -hmm. other than she was angry at something else and is taking it out. So there was one time where I was like, I don't know if I actually want to finish this, if this is the way this is going to go. Yeah. But clearly, so as, like by the end of the episode, she doesn't quite learn her lesson, but apologizes and yeah. moves forward with Joel. Z zoomed out from all 14 episodes, I can tell you that, that, that it's there for a purpose. Her harshness, her taking Joel for granted, her being a, way too critical and like really hurting Joel um, is there's a purpose here. There's a greater purpose. So uh, yeah. I, I, I hope you and others continue through it because you will find, I think some value at the end. I probably will. I mean, I, I said before the pod, but I'm finishing Andor right now. I'm like an episode or two away. I'm really excited to finish that show, but yeah, this is, this is one of the shows I'll probably be returning to. Um, there are some shows in the past that I have not, even if I said I did, uh, <laughs> <laughs> there are just, I like movies. I, I clearly could talk about movies for a long time and, Eric could clearly talk about movies for a long time too, but it's really Eric who can talk about these shows and the different um, and the different TV shows that are ha that have been around for the last ten years. 
So I like this part of the, I like this section of the pod because I can, I can really hand you the reins and you really know exactly what to say. But um, yeah, this is probably. And I'll, and I'll be, I'll be super direct. I mean, if, if I think one is sort of a standout, like you cannot miss this. I felt that way about Andor in terms of, you know, not, not if you, you don't have to be a star Wars fan to kind of, to, to hit Andor. And I think you probably fit that profile. Somebody somewhere is a sweet show. You should watch it with your significant other. Um, I, I wouldn't say you've got to check it out before you see anything else. This is not to be missed. It's just a really sort of great week to week show to, uh, to, to, to check out. But um, yeah, I mean, thumbs up for sure. Um, it, it's not going to be, you know, the second season is not going to be in my top five for this year. But it's a show that I will watch as long as they keep making them. That's a pretty prestigious top five. So don't take that as a slight if anybody's still listening an hour. Into oh, that it's, it's hard to break that top five for sure. Yeah, um, that's a pretty elite top five right there. What is in that top five, Eric? For this year so far? Yeah, let's see. Let's, I, I, I have your 2022 and 21 list, which is what I'm pulling from to, to do these. Um, or actually, I have some of your 2023 shows. Um, we have done a lot of 2023 shows. My mistake, almost like half of our shows are from 23. So, what are, so what are number one, number one for, for 2023 so far, here we are sitting in September, is The Bear on Hulu, season two of The Bear. Wow, nice. Number number two, The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, okay. the final season, season five previously, on Amazon. Previously number one. I, I think it was phenomenal. Yeah. Uh, the Last of Us, HBO Max, which you and I have talked mm-hmm. about already. Uh, Happy Valley, season three, the final season of Happy Valley, a British um, uh, cop detective show on AMC Plus. Um, great, best season of the three that they've had. And fifth right now is Special Ops Lioness on Paramount Plus, which is a Taylor Sheridan show about a um, kind of a Navy SEAL-esque kind of squad that uh, does some interesting work okay. in in the military. So. Um, and then rounding it out, you get things like Shrinking and The Diplomat yeah. and Never Have I Ever. Those are kind of moving through the top 10. And, and I come out with this list every year. I, I try to release it every quarter now in terms of where we stand. Mm-hmm. But th- that's a quick hit right there. Yeah, just updated our 23 shows at Happy Valley and Special Ops near the top. So, um, yeah. Uh, anything else you'd like to say about this? I feel like I didn't say much, but I'm, I'm going to leave the compliments to you. They're a lot more genuine. We we covered it. You are you're a newbie, and that's what the TV section's about on this show. So um, if you ever want to uh, get to the parts where I'm not talking, come to the TV <laughs> sections. You'll get a lot more Eric. <laughs> uh, no, I'm good on that. Uh, check it out. It's on H. It's on Max, and um, I think we'll get a third season within the next year or so. Yeah, yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited to move forward with this show. Uh, see if it really holds my attention or if I'll end up just watching another show for the pod. Um, but yeah, Eric, I think that's it for this pod. Um, maybe we should uh, limit our sections a little bit. You know, we talked for almost like 45 minutes, almost 50 minutes uh, about the movie. Maybe we need to cut that, cut that down for future episodes. I don't know what we could have left out, out of, uh, out of the movie talk, the worst person in the world, because I still want to fight you a little bit on that. I, I I'm not do done. Too. I feel like I wrapped it up a pre- <laughs> prematurely, but we needed, so, we, we needed that. The listeners will thank us for cutting it where we did, sure. because I think the 
Patreon slash bonus episode is going <laughs> to just be a knockdown. Yeah, we, we should. We'll talk about that. <laughs>